0: Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. Revelation, End Times, The Antichrist. Did those words mean much to you? If you're in my age bracket, they might even trigger images from the 70s and 80s of frightening End Times movies or self-proclaimed prophets who came on the scene and quickly faded when their predictions didn't work. Well, we promise that we don't fall into that camp. If you've heard some of the messages in this series already, you know we're not giving you wild speculation. Only a solid biblical perspective on the glorious second coming of Jesus. Today we're hearing a message called The Day of the Lord, Part 1, The Rebellion. We're going to learn about some very clear, unmistakable events that will occur, and it will be impossible for believers to miss the second coming of Christ. Here's Pastor John with the second half of this message.
1: This rebellion, this falling away from truth, this apostasy will occur in the visible church among professing Christians. And so Paul's teaching parallels both Jesus' teaching and the Apostle John's teaching and warnings about false teachers And people who profess to be Christians, yet they fall away, and in doing so, they take a large number of people with them. Let me give you some examples. Back in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, um, in verses 10 through 12, in verses 23 to 24, Jesus warns of false teachers and of this coming rebellion, this mass apostasy. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 23. He says, If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it for false christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect in first john chapter 2 verses 18 through 19 the apostle john writes this He says, children, it is the last hour. That is, it is the last days. Jesus has accomplished salvation. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now his return is imminent. We are in the last days. It is the last hour. So listen, children, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be become plain that they are not all of us. Now listen. Neither... Paul, John, or Jesus are speaking that genuine believers who are genuinely saved can lose their salvation in this apostasy and fall away from the faith. That's not what they're saying. This coming future apostasy in the Christ visible church refers to professing believers, not possessing believers. And these professing believers fall away from Christ's visible church. Now, as you study this, it is very important to understand that there are two ways of existing in the covenant community. Two ways of existing. Not everyone who is admitted into the visible covenant community, which is the church, actually receives the benefits of the covenant of grace, which is Christ and all of his saving work. There are people who are baptized in the visible church who are hypocrites and not converted. But they're admitted into the visible church. In Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 16, Paul refers to such people And he uses the example of Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau, who are the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. And he illustrates how it's possible to be in the covenant community and one be in the covenant community outwardly, but not possess the reality and one to be in the covenant community inwardly and possess the reality of the blessings of the covenant of grace, which is Christ and all of his saving benefits. Listen to what Paul says, beginning verse Romans chapter 9, verse 6. He says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, just because you were born a Jew doesn't mean that you're actually a Jew. He says, verse 7, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Remember, Abraham had offspring, it was Isaac and Ishmael. But Isaac and Ishmael were not equal. They were not both offsprings of Abraham. Paul says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh, Ishmael, who are the children of God, but the children of the promise, Isaac, are counted as the offspring of Abraham. And so the benefits of the covenant of grace are received only, Paul's argument here, is that they are received only by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, only that the elect ultimately receive them. This is why Paul writes in Romans 9-11, Though they, Jacob and Esau or not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of him who calls. If you just go back and read the Genesis account of Jacob and Esau, which one was the better of the two? <laughs> they were both quite bad people. <laughs> just like you and me. Right? And Paul says Jacob was the offspring of Abraham and Esau was not. And the difference maker was election. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In Matthew chapter 13, in the kingdom parables, in verses 24 through 30, Jesus teaches the parable of the weeds. And in the parable of the weeds, Jesus confirms that the visible church, until Christ returns, will always be a mixed assembly of professing and possessing believers in the visible church. Some are in the covenant of grace outwardly but do not have the benefits of the covenant of grace. Some are in the covenant of grace inwardly and have received those benefits of the covenant of grace and are true believers. Um, Article uh, 29 of the Belgic Confession rightly recognizes, quote, there are hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good, and yet... They are not part of the church, although they are outwardly in it, end quote. And so today there are are members of the new covenant community who are members outwardly, but not inwardly. These folks are in the covenant community like Ishmael and Esau, but they're not internally in it like Isaac and Jacob, And so it is those who are members of this covenant community outwardly but not inwardly who ultimately will be led astray and deceived following the delusions of this man of lawlessness and will commit apostasy and fall away from the faith. And it will be in mass numbers. And it will happen not outside of the church. It will happen in the church. And so, while there are currently hypocrites and apostates in the visible church, and there are false teachers in the visible church, and there are false antichrists now in the visible church, as we'll come back to and see in a minute, God is restraining them from gaining the upper hand until the appointed time. Now, I want you to look back at chapter two, verse three of Second Thessalonians, and I want you to notice that this great apostasy, it takes place in connection with the revelation of the man of lawlessness. Paul says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, this apostasy, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And so Paul's teaching about this great end-time apostasy in the visible church is clearly an allusion to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, Daniel prophesies of an end-time opponent who will come into the world bringing about this large-scale compromise of faith within the visible church among God's people. Now, whether this great falling away, this apostasy uh, uh, occurs first and then is followed by the Antichrist, or perhaps more probable, we are not, gonna, don't want to speculate, but perhaps more probable, the, the Antichrist coming instigates the apostasy, as you'll see in verses 9 through 12. However, the timing works out, both events are connected, and that's the important part to note. Paul says in verse 3, look at verse 3 very carefully. He says that this end time figure, this man of lawlessness will be revealed. Now that's a big clue there because uh, the word revealed is the exact same word that Paul uses for Christ's second coming in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 where it says when Christ returns, he will be revealed. And so Paul is depicting a scene From verses 4 through 12, he's depicting a scene in which the man of lawlessness will mimic the second coming of Christ. He will be revealed. It will be a revelation. He will appear mimicking Christ's second coming, and he will be deceiving through false professing believers in the visible church. He will deceive these people through the satanically empowered signs and wonders, Paul says, that he'll be given. And so this this man of lawlessness imitating a fake return of Christ will orchestrate a great end-time apostasy rebellion through blasphemous actions, setting himself up to be worshipped as God, empowered by satanic power himself. Now, in First and Second John, John's letters near the end of the New Testament, John speaks in both letters um, of various antichrists And he also speaks of, quote, the spirit of Antichrist that is now already in this world. And the point is, is that while there have been and continue to be false teachers in the church, false professors in the visible church, these false teachers who are Antichrists, these false professors in the church who are going to be led astray and commit apostasy in the future—all of what is currently in the visible church now will all lead and give way to this final antichrist, this man of lawlessness, when God's current restraint (2 2 Thessalonians 2:7) 2, is lifted. And then, verses 4 through 12, Paul says, all hell literally will break loose. And it will break loose in the church. And so, at this time, at this revealing of this mimicking, this fake, false second coming of Christ, Paul says, this great apostasy will take place in the visible church with the revelation of the man of lawlessness. And he will preside over a great end-time apostasy in Christ's visible church. Paul goes on to say that this satanically empowered individual will exalt himself over God and demand to be worshiped, setting himself up in the temple as God. we'll come back to that next week, and I'll identify for you what temple that Paul is talking to, but just a little heads up, it's not what dispensation would say. He will set himself up in God's temple, mimicking the true Christ, and demand that everybody worship him, and he will lead astray. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. When he does this, he will lead astray, Paul says, those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Those are the people who are in the visible covenant community outwardly, but have never truly embraced the love of the truth and been saved. So let's now return back to the main point that Paul is making in connection to this large-scale in-time rebellion apostasy by professing believers in the visible church. Paul's Point and reasoning is very clear. Since this great final apostasy has not yet taken place, the Thessalonian believers do not need to be alarmed and they can take comfort that the Lord has not already returned. It's a pastoral point. Paul says, Don't concern yourself with all these future details. This hasn't happened, so don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. Have comfort and hope. Look to Christ now. It always comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? The gospel is always the paramount issue. It's always about the gospel. So, as we reflect on Paul's pastoral words of wisdom and comfort this morning concerning the day of the Lord, uh, there are three lessons that I want you to uh, carefully consider as we finish. And here's the first one. First of all, we need to heed Paul's warning here. Paul's words serve as a warning to all Christians about what will take place before the Lord returns. And both Jesus and Paul speak of and warn against a great end-time apostasy that will take place in the visible church. And both of them say, when that occurs, that is a sign of impending judgment by the king who's about to return. There will be this large-scale mass apostasy in the visible church just prior to Christ's return. You see signs of it all the time you don't, that are leading to that. The Scottish Episcopal Church this week rewrote the definition of marriage and apostatized in the faith. False teachers, false bishops, false pastors teaching false doctrine and leading hundreds of thousands and millions of people astray, redefining marriage and redefining the gospel in the church. That is the spirit of antichrist that John is speaking of. That is the antichrists that are now in the world now that John is speaking of. And that is leading the visible church to one day a mass apostasy on a grand scale. And so this mass rebellion will take place in connection with the revelation of the man of lawlessness, who if possible, Jesus says, would lead astray even the elect, but it is not possible, but Jesus is warning, it is going to be so deceptive and so bad that if possible, it would even take the true believers in the church away too, but it can't, but it's going to be that bad. And so, empowered by Satan, this man of lawlessness will mimic the miracles of Christ. He will certify his claim of divinity. He will deceive a great number of people and orchestrate a final rebellion against God. And this rebellion, Paul says, culminates in divine judgment when Christ returns. It doesn't have a good ending. And so Paul is warning us that divine judgment is the fate of all who follow this antichrist and rebel against God, which is a warning to us in the church. People say, oh, your church. You see, John, we love your church, but we don't like to come to your church because our church is all about the Holy Spirit. Your church is just about doctrine. You got to be very careful there. Why do do we obsess accurately and correctly on the centrality of the truth of the gospel in this church week after week after week after week? Because Paul is telling you why. This mass apostasy will occur in the church. The enemy is in the church now. And we are to guard the treasure of this gospel and proclaim it now, for the sake of calming and comforting God's people, now. And the Holy Spirit, I will tell you, He is wherever the gospel is clearly preached because Paul calls the gospel the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you want a spirit filled church, you better have a gospel saturated, centered church every week. That's where the Holy Spirit is working. So let us heed Paul's warning and Give ourselves now to the truth of the gospel. Now, before it's too late. Second, here's the lesson Paul teaches us. Avoid date setting and predictions. (laughs) Right? It's pretty obvious. Avoid sensational date setters, useless, irresponsible, what Paul calls irreverent babble whose teaching will spread like gangrene and lead to nothing but ungodliness in your life. Have nothing to do with that. Only God knows when these future events will come to pass. And when they do, Paul is assuring the Thessalonian believers, and now he's assuring us 2,000 years later, that when these two events take place, this great apostasy and this revealing of the man of lawlessness... It would be so unmistakably clear to God's people, it would be impossible for God's people to miss the second coming of Christ. You're not going to miss it. And then here's the third point. You can have a comfort and you don't have to live with alarm. You can have comfort and you don't have to live with alarm. You can have hope. Don't forget Paul's main intention. His intention was not to speculate about end time events. His objective was to calm and comfort believers who literally were shaken at the foundation of their faith. False teachers had come in and shaken the church. Listen carefully. How many of you ever heard this? Oh, doctrine divides, doctrine divides, doctrine divides, right? Notice here what divides and destroys the church and believers. A shaken and alarmed faith is the result of false teaching entering into the minds of young believers about the the incorrect misinformation concerning the return of Christ. If you want to divide and mess up and ruin a church and believer's faith, just teach them wrong truth about the hope of the gospel, which is the return of Christ. That destroys a believer's faith. In contrast, look what Paul's doing. A calm, comforted, strengthened faith that perseveres even in the midst of persecution, as these young believers are going through, is the fruit of the truth of the gospel, which is the hope of the gospel, the return of Christ, resting at the center of your faith. You see that? Paul's desire for these young converts, verse 15 of chapter 2, is for them to stand firm in their faith, chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 14, and to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already seen that in chapter 1, that there will be a mutual glorification when Christ returns, not only of Christ being glorified, but his church being glorified, his church beautified by the Holy Spirit in the complete perfection of their sanctification when Christ returns. And Paul says, I want you to remain faithful firm and steadfast and persevere in your faith. And I want you to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the pastoral wisdom and the pastoral heart now of Paul in this? He's feeding them the truth of the gospel, not so that they can say, oh, we know now we're date setters, right? Sign me up for TV and the Jim Baker show. No, it has nothing to do with that. Paul was was calming and comforting these young, newly converted believers in the faith, grounding them in the hope of the gospel. So Christ's return is now 2,000 years nearer than it was when Paul sought to calm and comfort these alarmed Thessalonians, right? 2,000 years closer.
0: Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Day of the Lord, Part 1, The Rebellion. More from the series is coming up. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's Church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.